Dear Lord, thank you for this day, for a beautiful day uh, of rain and rainbows and um, some rest, and at least for me. Bless this time. I pray that uh, you would guard my words, that I would not speak anything um, that is not from you, and if I do, that it would fall on deaf ears. And I pray. Amen. What is a friend? I mean, we come to the village, we spend time together, we learn some of the most intimate details of each other's lives, and still there's sometimes this feeling of, well, those are the people I go to church with, and these are my friends over here. And sometimes, even within our community, we have, we have our friends in the community, and then we have people who just happen to be here also. Um, we divide up our lives into pockets, and we think of the people at church as something other than friends. Something somewhere between weird people that I'm forced to put up with because I believe in God, and... Uh, people who know me better than my own family does. And it's, it's not that I think we shouldn't have friends outside the community, because that would be rather cultish and contrary to the gospel. But it's, it's important to look at what friendship looks like within the community of Christ, and in particular, what it looks like here at the village. And so I've, I've figured it out, and this is it. This is what we're talking about tonight. A friend in the community of Christ thinks about and prays for, persists, persists toward, and gives heart to those who are also in Christ. So one of the primary activities that we engage in within the community of Christ is a defining of words. It's important that we do this because there are a lot of words in the Bible that we don't really understand. They don't make sense to us. There are words that we don't use anymore, words that meant something different within the context of ancient Hebrew culture, and words that mean something different now than they did 100 years ago, let alone two or three thousand years ago when the Bible was written. We also enter into this activity because the words we use and what they mean are supremely important. And to be in community together means striving as much as possible to understand each other. And the defining of words is also important because our culture— and our language are constantly changing. So if I said the word cool, it no longer necessarily means, no longer necessarily refers to temperature. And the word sweet no longer necessarily refers to flavor. And if I said the word lemonade, <laughs> some of you would think of a cool, sweet, refreshing drink. But some of you probably thought about Beyonce. 
Exactly, Ron who? <laughs> but probably the most important reason we participate in a defining of words is that it is part of it was part of the ministry of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5 during Jesus' sermon on the mount, he takes the command, you shall not commit murder and defines it not just as the physical act of killing someone, but as harboring anger in your heart. And then a little later, Jesus takes the command, you shall not commit adultery, and defines it not just as committing the physical act of committing adultery, but as a, simply as a lusting after someone. I want to point out that the reason Jesus is defining these commands is because what he's actually defining is sin. At that time, the people of God had forgotten the heart. They had reduced relationship with God to making physical or to making sacrifices for physical acts of sin. But again and again in the Old Testament and then in the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, we see sin defined as the evil that is in our hearts. In Matthew 15, Jesus says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Although everyone who's had the, um, the bug that's been going around might have a bone to pick with that statement. But then there are two more words that Jesus defines in his ministry that specifically address this problem of the heart. And the first is love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In the words of the great theologian Kevin Michael McKeon, love is a verb. I'm pretty sure 95% of you didn't get that drink, didn't get that joke. That's okay. So Kevin Michael McKeon, his name, he goes by Toby Mack. Toby Mack was part of the group DC Talk, the early 90s Christian hip-hop group, DC, yeah, coming around. One of, the, one of their hits was Love is a Verb. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna move on. Let's move on. <laughs> so our culture defines love as something like affection or lust it's a feeling that we fall into or fall out of but in the gospels and later in the letters we are given the ultimate picture of love this decision by god to come into this world that he created as a sacrifice for our sin 
and to be raised up, raised up in triumph over death. First John, first John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Love is not a feeling or something that just happens to us. It is this gift that God has given us. When you say, I love you to someone, what you should know is that what you're actually saying is, I am willing to lay down myself and who I am to serve you just as Jesus did for me. The second word that Jesus defines in his ministry is joy. I talked about joy last month in the same series um, using the John, verse John sixteen twenty four, and you can go back and listen to it. But a brief recap would be joy is not happiness. Joy is what flows out of prayer. Joy is the pleasure of God's company. So this is what Jesus came to restore with his ministry, death, and resurrection, our ability to enter into relationship with God and to experience the joy of that relationship. So we're defining words, and here's what we have so far. Sin is the evil that is in all of our hearts. Love is the example that Jesus set in dying for our sin. Joy is the relationship we have with God as a result of that loving action. This is the classic picture of the gospel, which just to keep up the theme means good news. The gospel. I'm talking about all this because to get to the word that we're defining today, which is friendship. So we're going to go to our verse for the week in our series on simple things, simplicity, which is Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, which says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So starting with the gospel in this conversation is important because it's important to know what our, what our baseline is. Verse 24 begins with, and let us. These verses in chapter 10 of Hebrews are directives for those who are in the community of Christ. The writer says just before this in verse 19, since we have confidence to enter in the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by new and living, co- new, new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us, dot, dot, dot. There's a bunch of them. So we do these things because of the gospel. Our base of relationship within the community is Christ. We don't get together on Sunday evenings because we don't have anything else to do or because we all have the same taste in music or because we all like in and out We aren't all Republicans or Democrats or pacifists. We don't all share the same cultural heritage. 
We don't live in the same neighborhoods. We don't have the same educational background. We don't all play video games, board games, Minecraft, or sports. (laughs) Praise God. We We are all here because we believe in Jesus Christ or on some level are searching for the truth about him. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a a German pastor in Nazi Germany during World War II. He was assassinated by the Nazis just before the end of the war. In his book, Life Together, he said, A Christian comes to others only through Jesus Christ. Among men, there is strife. Without Christ, there is discord between God and man and between man and man. Christ became the mediator and made peace with God and among men. Without Christ, we should not know God. We could not call upon him nor come to him. But without Christ, we also would not know our brother, nor could we come to him. The way is blocked by our own ego. Christ opened up the way to God and to our brother. Now Christians can live with one another in peace. They can love and serve one another They can become one, but they can continue to do so only by way of Jesus Christ. So we're defining friendship in the community of Christ, and this is our first building block. We are friends because of Christ and nothing else. It is only through him that we can truly know each other. And this, this leads us into consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. If you've been here for a while, you've probably heard Rod and Eric talk on Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. It's a popular village verse. And the picture they both use here is obviously riding a horse with spurs, right? You irritate the horse. They use the, ver- they use the word irritate. And they, they talk about how we are called to irritate and to pester one another on toward love and good deeds. And there's a really good sermon. If you go back to the legacy site on Hebrews 10 by Rod from a few years ago, you can get a really good picture of this. It's great good sermon. But as much as Rod and Eric have talked about this, it, it's hard for us to do. And part of that is we miss the very important consider one another. So what I'm about to say is, is really hard to hear. And when I said it to Lane, my wife, she said, wow, you're going for the jugular. <laughs> Fair warning. But it's important. Consider one another. In that quote from Bonhoeffer, he says, the way is blocked by our own ego. We often consider how we may spur ourselves on toward love and good deeds, and we project that on those around us. We fail 
to actually look at those around us and to think about them. We look at each other and we see polarized pictures of political positions and theological stances and favorite sports teams. We have our particular beliefs and we see the other side and we dehumanize it. We cannot understand how anyone could believe that thing. And this goes, it goes beyond the community of Christ. The love of God and his desire for relationship with his creation goes beyond those have already, who have already received him. The love of God compels us to have compassion for all people. We cannot dehumanize Muslims or the LGBT community or political candidates or people who like in and out or Christians who believe things that seem to contradict our own beliefs. We are called to love all people, so how much more then should we strive to know and to love the people in our own community? This is our second building block. Friends within the community of Christ think about one another. But to consider one another does not just mean to think about one another. It means to pray for one another. A couple of years ago, we did a whole year, I think it was three years ago, we did a whole year on village values, and Ron Lehman introduced community. And in that talk, he said that we should just put yellow tape up in front of the doors of the church. Because walking into a church is like walking into a crime scene. Except that we are all guilty. We are all broken, sinful creatures who have been saved by a loving God who invites us into relationship. To consider one another means entering into prayer with God for one another. It means sitting with God and being open to, have, to having our own hearts changed towards the people we don't like and the people we don't understand. And I guarantee that if you pray for someone every day, your heart will be changed towards them. It's a funny thing. We enter into prayer for other people thinking that they will be changed. We say, change their heart, O Lord. But much more often, the heart that is changed is our own. So this doesn't directly relate to what we're talking about, but... I have the microphone, so you all have to listen to my stories. I was with my dad a few weeks ago, and he said, you know, I pray for you every day. And since you got together with Lane, I've prayed for Lane every day. And now I am praying for your daughter every day. But it would be a lot easier if I knew what her name was going to be. 
We don't have a name, so I'm not going to tell you. Sorry. In case you're wondering, it's not there yet. Pray for one another. Pray every day. One of Martin Luther's most famous quotes is, I, I have so much to do, I shall start with, the, the, I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Jesus got a way to pray. Prayer is relationship with God. It is life-giving and joy-producing. It is a lifting up of the community. We don't pause our lives to pray, and we're not missing out when we pray. It's a recognition of our own weakness and God's very great strength. Pray for one another, especially for those for whom it is hard. For those for whom? For those whom it is hard for you to love. So verse 25 begins, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Before I came to the village, I was at a church, I was working at this church, and I played in the band with this guy, and he was a really good friend of mine. We spent a lot of time together, we played a lot a lot of music together. We were close. He's a good friend. And he was with me in some really hard times. And I left, after I left that church, I, I, after I came to the village, I started to notice him on Facebook. And he said some stuff that I didn't agree with. And I just kind of brushed it off. And then one day I was on Facebook and he said something. He posted, he had posted something. And I thought, man, that guy's a jerk. I said, where did that come from? I went to this guy's wedding. We were close friends. It's ironic that Facebook is called Facebook. Because... There's something interesting that happens when we are forced to interact with someone face-to-face. It becomes harder to dehumanize them. It's harder to reduce them to one thing. It's harder to not be confronted with the reality that we are all broken, all of us. And we are in need of Christ's sacrifice. So do not... Give up meeting together. Because this is our third, third building block. Friends within the community of Christ persist towards one another. To persist is to continue firmly or obstinately in an opinion or a course of action in spite of difficulty, opposition, or failure. To persist in the community of Christ is to spur or irritate one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together in spite of difficulty, opposition, or failure. Something to think about in light of this is what things do we think make it okay to give up meeting together? 
What things do we allow to dictate whether or not we're going to persist? I know one of the things that makes it okay for me um, is, is, well, they hurt me, so they should call me. And I, I can think of one person in particular who right now I, I think they need to call me to talk to me. Like I, and I, it's, it's, I feel bitter towards them. Which is interesting because if I don't let go of that bitterness, it'll do nothing for, nothing against the other person and everything to me. It will only amplify my own hurt, my own stubbornness. And the enemy gains a foothold in telling me lies about why they haven't called me and why I'm right in feeling the way I do. Persist towards good deeds. Persist towards loving action. Persist towards each other. My mouth's dry today. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So we're going to define, define our last word for the night. The word encourage comes from the Latin cor, C-O-R, which also gives us the Spanish word corazón, which means heart. It means heart. To encourage someone literally means to give heart. We've already talked about our own hearts. We cannot give of our own sinful hearts. We give heart through the loving action of Jesus Christ and by sharing the joy of a relationship with God. So we give heart to each other by pursuing each other, by offering relationship, by eating together, by working together, by having fun together. We give heart to each other by reaching out in the hardest times and by celebrating even the smallest events with each other. I couldn't get all the way through this without a quote from Larry Crabb, whose book Encouragement is based on this verse. He said, Encouragement is the kind of expression that helps someone want to be a better Christian, even when life is rough. By the grace of God, I can have that effect on your life, and you can have it on mine. We must apply our mental energies to the job of understanding precisely how we can perform this important work for each other. So this week, think about your community. Think about the people at the village who it's hard for you to love. Think about them 
in light of their identity as children of God and brothers and sisters in Christ. Then, spend time praying for them. Pray for their jobs, their families, their struggles in life. And pray for yourself. Pray that God would show you how to love them, how to reach out to them, how to push past the things that divide them, and pray that he change your heart towards them. And then persist towards them. Invite them out for coffee. Call them and ask to pray with them. And be willing to admit hurt and to ask for forgiveness. And finally, give heart to each other. Encourage one another. Eat together. Pray together. Work together. And have fun. Figure out how to have fun together. Ecclesiastes, uh, I think it's chapter 8. It says, So I commend the enjoyment of life, because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. Have fun. Think about each other. Pray for each other. Persist towards each other. And give heart to each other. So we have some time. We have about five minutes. So, if you would like to respond, I'm just going to walk around with the microphone because just drop the mic. Yeah, Kevin. I think when you talk about the the place of praying for your enemies, um, I know I should do that, and I engage in it from time to time. But what I find when I go to that place of prayer for them is that I don't actually want the good things that I'm praying for them to happen to them. So I pray for their families, their lives, and for things to work out, and I realize I don't want the, these things to work out. So that's not really prayer. Um, and I'm wondering how to move past that. I'd, I'd say I don't think there's really an effective way for us to move past that. I think that's where praying that your own heart would be changed um, towards that person. So we enter into prayer, we enter into relationship with God about that person or that group of people um, and then ask that God would change our hearts so that we actually truly want good things for them. I think along those lines, it's good to consider, like when we're considering people, that to recognize that we're in a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. And so... Often the person that feels like your enemy is actually not the enemy. And the spirit, the, the spiritual world is where your enemy actually is. And when you start considering the people that God has placed in your life for whatever reason from 
that place of their either they're being attacked by Satan or I'm being attacked by Satan about them or like what does it look like to to kick Satan's butt out of, out of the relationship like those are places where we I think we start to soften more rather than thinking of the person as our enemy Just wanted to, because um, you're talking about friendship. Um, just a friend just popped in to visit uh, Patty and I, him and his wife, Dave and Grace Krulin. And I, I just want to give this illustration of the kind of friend that Dave has been over the years. They live in Michigan now, in Holland, Michigan. Um, I think it was 1970 or 1995. My father passed away. I was back with my mom, and um, we were sitting in the home, and she was grieving, and there was a lot of grief about a lot of things. And Dave Krulin was at the University of West Virginia in an administrative role. He was a researcher. He had just been fired in his, from his position. His brother passed away with a stroke. And into the driveway, four and a half hours away, five hours, to my hometown in Ohio. He pulls in. He's 6'8". Rod can identify. Um, He gets out of this little car, and he is carrying a small flower pot with a beautiful tulip. He's Dutch. And he just walked in, hugged my mother hugged me and sat with us for a couple hours. To me, and, and reuniting with him today was just really, really wonderful. A man in great pain, great loss, drives through a rainstorm just to say, I'm going to sit with you. So, um, We have time for one more. I was just curious a little bit about the story you mentioned about the the guy you're like he should call me. Yeah. Um, so, what what are your thoughts on if we're in a situation where we should kind of figure things out ourselves and it's between us and God and when do we need to reach out act proactively to that other person? I think I think it ends up being both. Both and, um, because it, it it's not good for us to hold on to bitterness, to hold on to to anger, um, and and so even without the interaction that we long for, we have to enter into forgiveness um, for the hurt. Um, but then I I think also. Reaching out as best you can to communicate. I mean, the the, the person that I'm I'm thinking about, I've actually tried several times to to get together with them, and and it hasn't worked. Um, so I have to I have to learn to let go of that that pain and the 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 bitterness and the anger that I feel, and forgive them, even though they 
are unwilling to spend time with me. So, yeah, I just, yeah. Right, right. Right, right. And and sometimes sometimes we say they need to call me before I'll reach out to them, and and they may not actually know that they've caused us pain or they they've hurt us, which yeah we we need to to reach out to them. But it is it is a an entering in. We have to enter into that relationship and say you know I forgive you even if you won't interact with me. All right, um, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this community. Thank you for um, just the interactions of, of trying to figure out what it, what it means for us to be friends, what it means for us to be in Christ together. Um, I pray that you would continue to speak to us about this and um, encourage us to to reach out in in places that are hard. In your name I pray. Amen.